Father, yes. And we look forward to that day. And then we look for that day because that's what we're supposed to do. We know that when our eyes are on you, the things of this world don't matter quite as much. And we're thankful that you gave us that gift because we know at times this world can feel overwhelming. All the struggles and all those things we know one day are going to cease and we're going to see you face to face. We're going to be in paradise forever. We look forward to that day. We yearn for that day. We long for that day. But until then, I pray that you would find us faithful to your call that you've called us to, which is to live in a way that brings glory to you and open our mouths and share the good news of what your son has done for that for us. And we're so thankful to be here today. We're so thankful that uh, Mr. Sammy Tippett is here with us today. We pray that you would speak through him now. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I was, uh, I was sitting there and I almost forgot that I was next. <laughs> what an awesome time in worship this morning. Amen. We have a, uh, an immense privilege this morning to hear from Sammy Tippett. And uh, I was just sharing with him up in my office a little bit ago that uh, he wouldn't know this. In fact, many of you are, aren't aware of the impact that Sammy's had on our church over the years. Um, th probably the best way to introduce uh, Sammy would be to talk about uh, his exploits as an evangelist, uh, as a prayer warrior, um, starting out in ministry as a, a pastor and uh, the impact that he's had around the world. In fact, if you go onto that website, you're able to see videos where he is right now uh, impacting people around the world through uh, discipleship of those that have come to Christ. Uh, and evangelism is still going forth uh, through Sammy around the world. It's been an amazing thing to hear his story. Um, but what, uh, what happened here at our church, we, we, we for a long time didn't have missions. And uh, so for our first mission trip, we end up down in uh, southern Mexico. And on that way, to encourage our hearts, I'd taken along a little book. It had come together uh, with three, uh, three others. So I had Ian e. Bounds on prayer. He uh, died in the 1860s. And it was bound together with Sammy Tippett. And to be honest, Sammy, I thought that you were dead and gone. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. But I, I read him as I would read one of these uh, spiritual men that have gone ahead of us, and it so impacted me, we use that as part of our devotions to remind us to be in prayer and that any success we would have would be the work of God and not our work. And you were on our very first mission trip at this church, which is something we live for uh, right now. So I am honored to introduce to you this morning uh, Sammy Tippett. Sammy, would you come? I'm going to read this passage and pray, but it says in Second uh, Timothy 4, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, and sometimes it's out of season, right? Some people don't like to listen. Reprove, rebuke, exhort and complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from the listening of the truth. They will wander to myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, 
fulfill your ministry. Sammy, when I read that passage, I think of you. I'm going to pray. Amen. Father, I am so thankful to have Sammy here this morning, and we are honored as a church to hear from him, a servant of yours who has done amazing things around the world, but this morning has been called here to preach your word. We ask that you would fill him, that, uh, Father, that our response to your word would be complete, that we would walk away different. We would hear and be changed. Use him this morning in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Justin. I appreciate that so very much. And it is great to be with you this morning, to be back. I was here a few years ago and, and enjoyed it so much. And so I'm, it, it's always encouraging when you're invited back. So it, it's good to be back here with you. My wife is with me. For those of you who haven't met her or didn't, weren't here last time, her name is Tex, uh, as in Texas. And uh, that's because she grew up, was born and grew up in Texas. I grew up in Louisiana. We met in Louisiana. But uh, I said I would never go to Texas because they're all braggarts. And uh, we live in Texas now. So, uh, uh, but don't worry, they don't call me Louise because I come from Louisiana. But it's a great day. It's, it's the day that the Lord has made. It's a great day because uh, it's Sunday. And Sunday is a day that for 2,000 years, Christians have gathered together to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it's a great day. I, I, I'm so glad to be alive and just to be here and, and not dead since 1960, and, uh, or 1860, excuse me. So, so it, it is it's really a blessing to be with you. And I'm, I'm going to be sharing with you on bearing fruit through brotherly kindness. And we're going to be looking at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 5 through 8 uh, this morning. We're going to be talking about those verses of Scripture. But before we get into that, let me just say to you that um, perhaps in the last few years, there, last couple of years, there is a movement down in Brazil of churches that has just made an incredible impact upon my life. It's called the Multiplying Church Movement. And one of their principles, they have five core principles, and one of their core principles or teachings that they have is expressing brotherly kindness in the community and showing compassion in the community. And it is just one of the most incredible things, uh, ministries that I've ever come in contact with anywhere in the world, and I believe one of the most reproducible. And the reason I'm sharing that with you right now is because this evening, I'm going to be talking about spiritual multiplication. And it's one of the most powerful truths because it's one of the most foundational truths in the Scripture. And so I hope that you'll come back. And I, and I know I'm using some words that may sound big and, and everything like I'm, you know, hyping it up. But I'm telling you what I've experienced in the last four years through spiritual multiplication is just... Um, it is, it's just breathtaking for me anyway, personally. So I hope that you'll come back and catch a vision of what God can do through one individual, how God can take one, one person and multiply our lives and multi multiply our message and use it in just a, a tremendous way. So I hope you'll be here this evening for that. Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about bearing fruit through brotherly kindness. And I want to read to you, beginning with uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and beginning with verse 5, I want to read from the Scripture. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence, 
in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I came to know Christ uh, 54 years ago, I was a university student. I was going to LSU. I was a freshman there. I had no relationship with God. I grew up in a secular home. And one night I went to church, and not because I was a church-going guy, but because my girlfriend's dad said, if you want to see my daughter, you've got to go to church. Well, I didn't want to go to church, but I did want to see his daughter. So I, I went to church that Sunday night, and I heard a man talk about Jesus. And he preached about Jesus and how Christ had changed his life. And God captured my heart that evening. And I gave my heart to Jesus. And immediately, I, I can say to you, immediately there was a desire in my heart to be useful in the kingdom of God. Now, I, I couldn't express it in those words because I didn't know the Bible. I didn't have a Bible. But there was this, this desire within me because of what had happened, because of Christ coming to live and dwell on the inside of me, his divine nature within me now living and dwelling. I, I wanted to be useful. I wanted to glorify him. I wanted him to be honored in my life and through my life. And I, I believe that every one of us who've come to know Christ truly have this desire to be useful, to be fruitful, to, to really to grow and to be what God wants us to be and to be used in his kingdom. It happens because of the nature of Christ within us. And that's what the very first part of this chapter is talking about, by the way. And, and it talks about how, how because we have the power that is granted to us through the, the, the actual presence of Christ dwelling on the inside of us now, it says that we should have these qualities, and grow in these qualities if we're going to be useful in his kingdom. Now, it lists eight qualities. This is what I call the gang of eight. And there are eight qualities, and the one we're really keen in on this morning is that of brotherly kindness. But I don't think you can look at any one of these qualities alone. I think that we have to look at them, first of all, as a whole. We have to see all of them because all of them are connected to one another. And we're to not only have each one of these qualities, but we are to grow and increase in each one of these qualities. And so before I really target and zoom in to, to, to the brotherly kindness, I want to look at the friends of brotherly kindness. I, I used to tell my kids when they were growing up, I said, you know, you be careful who you hang out with because who you hang out with is who you're going to become like. And we find that brotherly kindness has seven friends. Now, that's a good number of friends to have. And the total of them, eight of them, run together in a, in a gang. And it's when you really embrace all of them that each one of them become important. And by the way, each one of them are important in their own right, 
but all of them together are absolutely incredible. So I want to just quickly talk about each one of these, just bring us through each one of these and how they relate to one another. And it's very interesting in this list that the, the first quality mentioned is faith. And the last quality mentioned is love. And uh, it starts with faith, but it ends with love. Never forget that. That's the beginning point. The beginning point is faith. The ending point is love, that we might love even as he has loved us. So we start with faith, and, and, and we are to grow in faith. Well, you know, one of the great things that I learned early in my Christian life, and as I memorized the Scripture, it says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So how are we to live the Christian life? How are we to be useful in the kingdom? How are we to bear fruit? The same way that we came to Christ. It's not complicated. It's very simple. That night that I came to know Jesus Christ, that God spoke to my heart, something happened in me, and I responded in faith. Now, what did that mean? That I, I responded intellectually, emotionally, and volitionally. I made a choice. I said, God, I'm trusting you. I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus. And because of that, I'm going to follow you. I open my heart to you. I trust in you. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's the way you grow in Christ. So many of us think, you know, okay, now I've trusted Christ. Now I've got to grit my teeth and, you know, just get out there and do it. No, you trust him. It's not I, Paul says. It's Christ. <laughs> One of the hardest things I had to learn as a new Christian was that I could not live the Christian life. There's only one person who's ever lived the Christian life the way it ought to be lived, and that's Jesus. And so it's not I, but it's Christ. I trust him. I look to him. But on top of faith, then, you add to your faith moral excellence. Uh, in other words, now that you've trusted Christ, you've had this great experience, your heart has been changed, now you no longer want to live for yourself, now you want to honor God, you want to trust Him, you want to believe Him, you want to follow Him, you want Him to be the center of your life. Well, now that means that you're going to have to add to your faith moral excellence. I, I didn't know this, but this was probably set me on a direction in my Christian life when I first came to know Christ, I had to make a moral decision within two days of becoming a Christian. And, and that moral decision was, I, before I came to Christ, I was a friend of mine and I were supposed to go down to the coast and we were going to get drunk, you know, and uh, just going to have a great weekend of just, you know, doing our things as a couple guys. And uh, so uh, he, he came looking for me when I came to Christ, so there was a series of meetings at, that, at our church where, where I became a Christian, and I started going every night to church. And so he, he came over to my home to pick me up, and uh, my mother said, oh, he's at his girlfriend's house. And he went over there, and the girlfriend's parents said, no, they're at the church. And he came up to the church, and he said, Sammy, what are you doing? He said, man, we're supposed to go right now. <laughs> man, I got all the booze in the car. You know, we're going to go down there and get drunk, you know, and we're going to have a great time. And I looked at him, and, and, and it was in that moment that my first step of growth took place. I looked at him, and I said, Fred, I can't. He said, what do you mean you can't? I said, Fred, I'm following Jesus. He said, hey, man, just forget about this Jesus stuff. And, and just come on, you know, just for the weekend, that's all. I said, Fred, Jesus is coming to my heart. I can't keep doing 
what I've been doing. I've got to go a different way. And Fred laughed at me and said, forget it, Tippett. He left, went and got drunk that weekend, came back the next Monday, called me and said, Sammy, can you come over? He says, uh, I, I got drunk, and the whole time all I could think about is what you told me about Jesus. And he said, man, I need Jesus. Well, I, I was a new Christian, didn't know what to do. <laughs> I said, Fred, I, I don't know what to tell you. All I know is I got on my knees and I prayed and said, Jesus, help me. You know, and, uh, and Fred, I said, Fred, you can get down and do the same thing. He got down and did the same thing. God changed his life. He's a pastor today. And, um, but, but I had a decision to make, you see, a decision of early in my Christian life. Okay, I've had faith. Christ has come into my heart. Now I need to add to that moral excellence. In other words, am I going to do the right thing? Am I going to start living the way that God wants me to live? Not just have a faith and a great experience where I say, hallelujah, boy, this is wonderful. But now I have a moral choice to make. So on your faith, you add moral excellence. And then after moral excellence, you then come and you supply uh, knowledge. And what is that knowledge? This is not talking about a head knowledge, I, I don't believe, because if you read the context of this whole passage, it's talking about the knowledge of Christ. And Paul wrote in another place, uh, Paul wrote into, to the church at Philippi, and he said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So just as Peter is writing of knowledge here, I believe it's talking about the knowledge of Christ, getting to know him. Now, when, when my wife and I got married, uh, you know, Man, I loved her. I remember when she walked down that aisle, I thought I was going to pass out. You know, I loved her. But I can tell you, 51 years later, I love her so much more. Why? Because I've gotten to know her. And, and that's what it's talking about. You know, this knowledge you add to from faith, moral excellence, and, and really get to know God. And how do you get to know someone? You get to know someone by spending time with them. And so you, you take your faith, you add moral excellence, you get in the Word of God, you read the Word of God, God speaks to your heart, you speak to Him, and you get to know Him. So you add knowledge to that. And then on top of knowledge, then self-control. As you get to know Jesus Christ and follow Him, you'll discover that <laughs> there are areas of your life, you know, you, you think, okay, I'm a Christian now, don't have to worry about anything, everything's cool, but that, that's just not the way it is. The truth is we all still have this old flesh and we have to bring it under the control of the Holy Spirit. And we have, to, we have to die to ourselves to allow Christ to live in us. So we have to still make choices. And those choices are not I, but Christ. I can't live the Christian life, but I need the power of the Holy Spirit to empower me to be the person that I, I should be. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control that you don't just go and do your own thing in your own power, but you allow the Holy Spirit to, to work in you and through you. So you add to that, then self-control, and then comes perseverance. Now, perseverance is just hanging in there. And sometimes as you walk with Christ, you walk in the Spirit, you, you, you have to, you'll come to situations and circumstances. And what I've discovered is that God allows trials into our lives to teach us this perseverance, that we will last. And it's in the fire, it's in the difficulties, it's in those trials that the perseverance is built. So, so we add to all of this ingredients 
that, that these ingredients that God has given us, we add perseverance. And when we have perseverance, that leads us to the next quality, which is godliness. And over a period of time, that then we become more and more and more like Jesus. I want to tell you something, and it's not because I'm old, I'm going to say this, but some of the most beautiful people that I have met are older Christians who've walked with God for a long time. Uh, two men come to my mind, Dr. Frank Laubach. Dr. Laubach was, I met him, he was 90 years old when I met him. He was a professor at Asbury College and Seminary. Uh, it's a Methodist school in Wilmore, Kentucky. And uh, he had uh, been used to develop a system of educating the illiterate around the world. And God just used him mightily. But I would just sit down with Dr. Laubach and, and uh, when, I, when I first met him, and he would just speak. And it was just like Jesus speaking. You know, he was so Christ-like. And then Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, who was at that time president of Asbury College, I got to know Dr. Kinlaw very well uh, in the last few years of his life. And, and I would take a year, almost every year, I would just fly to Lexington, Kentucky, drive out to his home, and I would just spend a day with him, and I would sit down at his home in the last few years of his life, and I would just say, Dr. Kinlaw, just talk. <laughs> Whatever you want to say, I want to hear, you know. And, and he was so full of wisdom, so full of grace, so full of the Scripture, and had just would pour into me. And, and oh, just Christ-likeness. You see, uh, perseverance over a period of time as you follow Jesus, there's something that happens within you to make you more like Jesus, and, and you become what we call a godly person. And, and more than anything else, we ought to desire to be godly. Now, as you develop and increase in these characteristics, the next thing that is said is you add to your godliness brotherly kindness, and then that's to be followed by love. So I want us to stop here now and talk about brotherly kindness and what it is and why it's so important. If you have all of these characteristics and you're, you're, you have all of these friends who are running together and, and they're helping you and you're growing in all of those, those areas and these qualities of life, these characteristics of life, if you will add brotherly kindness to it, I want to tell you it will be absolutely extraordinary what God will do with your life. God can do far beyond anything that you would ask or think if you won't just stop with, okay, now I'm like Christ, but you will begin to act in a manner showing kindness, brotherly kindness to people and begin to act in that manner. God will take you and God will use you in an extraordinary way. Um, Pastor Justin and I were talking in, in his office just a few minutes ago, and, and I mentioned to him that the, the book that he mentioned, The Prayer Factor, uh, was preceded by another book called Fire in Your Heart. And I wrote that book as a result of having been in Romania for a number of years. I went into Romania in 1980 the first time 
Ceausescu, Nikolai Ceausescu was a dictator. Uh, he persecuted Christians. The persecution was so severe that uh, Ambassador Funderburg, the U.S. ambassador to Romania, resigned from his position in protest over the treatment of Christians in the nation of Romania. It was, it was a very difficult situation, and, and my wife and I, we were going in, and I was preaching the gospel. I was ministering uh, to Christians back in those days, and, and for eight, nine years, I traveled into the country ministering, and there was a turning point in our ministry that was, was quite interesting. Uh, there was a revival that was taking place in the northwest region of Romania, but it was only in that region, and one of the reasons for that was there was a mountain range that sort of surrounded it and, and separated it from the rest of Romania, and you had to drive across those mountains, and no one in those days had cars. No one could travel by cars. In the communist system there, they, they, everyone was equally poor. And so as a result of that, hardly anyone had a car. And so I had a car vehicle that we drove in to the country, so... One of the guys came to me and said, Sammy, on the other side of the mountains, there are so many people who need Jesus. And you've got a car. Could I go with you? And why don't we bring a, a singing group of young people? And, and let's bring the young people, and the Romanian young people, and let's go across and let's sing and you preach and I'll translate for you and, and let's just see God take this revival across the mountain range. And I said, that's great, but what about these young people? I mean, they could be thrown in prison. They could lose their education. Is it dangerous? He said, Sammy, we're willing to pay the price to bring the gospel. I said, okay. So we did. And in order to be in the singing group, by the way, you had to memorize the book of 1 Peter, the book of James, and 1 John. Now, that's to be in the singing group. How many singing groups would we have in America today if that was what you had to do to be in them? But they did. And so we, we went across the mountains, and what they would do is they would sing a song and quote a chapter. Sing a song and quote a chapter. Sing a song and quote a chapter. And it was powerful. And, and the Spirit of God would just fall in those services and move. And, and so this went on for about eight years, and revival began to spread, and then the revolution took place. When the revolution took place, God opened the doors. Instead of preaching in churches, I went into Romania, and all across Romania, I preached in stadiums. Before, the churches wouldn't hold the people, but now the stadiums wouldn't hold the people. And it was just an amazing thing. And years passed, and, and so I got invited many years later to preach in Ohio at a youth conference for Romanian young people, Christian young people. And they were having a missions conference, and they asked me to come. And you know who these young people were? They were the children of those young people who went with me back during the days of Ceausescu. And these young people had such a fire in their hearts. And, and I challenged them to go back to Romania and to minister in Romania. And so these young people... They started praying and saying, God, what do you want? We want to be used of you, Lord. How can we be used of you? And their parents told them about all the places in Romania. And, of course, they had grown up with all the stories of persecution and everything in Ceausescu and what he had done. And you know what those young people decided? As they studied and figured out what the situation in that day was in Romania, they realized this, that when the revolution took place and freedom came to Romania, that, that all of Romania was 
was changed completely, but there was one town that was living in absolute poverty, and that was the hometown of Nikolai Ceausescu. Because he had been a, such an evil dictator and had done so much evil to the people that that, that one town, it was a little place called Skarnachest, that that town didn't have clean water. That town, uh, people were dying because of the, the poor water system. That, that, that town had, had nothing. And those young people said, why don't we show kindness to the people of Skarnachest? And they went, as a group of American, Romanian young people, they went back to Romania and they dug a well. They bought some property. They raised money for it, dug a well, and provided clean water for the people in the town. And then they built a church on that property. They asked me to come over and preach in the center of town, an evangelistic event. I preached an evangelistic event, and had people come to Christ and come into the church, and then they had a dedication of the church, and they had Ambassador Funderburk and myself to dedicate the church. It was an incredible moment that Sunday morning when we dedicated that church in the hometown of Nikolai Ceausescu, the place where everybody else neglected, the place that everybody else forsook, the place that nobody cared about because they had been, this town was the source of all of the evil, the source of all of the wrong, the source of all of the darkness. Yet those young people from Romania added brotherly kindness and they went out and they reached out to those people. And a church is there today, a thriving church in that little community. Where there was darkness, there is now light. And it's all because of this one group of young people who did what the Scripture said to do. They added to their faith. They added to their, their, their moral excellence. They added to their knowledge of Christ. They, they, they added to their uh, self-control. They added to their perseverance. They added to their godliness. They added brotherly kindness. And God took them and used them, a group of young people. God used for his glory. God will use any of us if we will just say, Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. I want to be all that you want me to be, and I give you my life. He's looking for people who will say, I will obey your word. I want to have these qualities in my life. I want to be increasing in these qualities. I want to be growing in you. God will take you. God will use you for his glory. Because it says here at the very end in verse 8, it says that, that for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will not be useless. Some, some people say, Sammy, I, I, there's not a whole bunch that I can do. Every one of us have something that God can do in and through us. I, I'll never forget in my own home church I was preaching one Sunday morning, and, and uh, there, there was a man there, and he came up to me, and he said, Sammy, I was listening to you preach, and I thought, you know, I can't, I can't do what Sammy does. I can't speak. I'm not a public speaker. And, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, what can I do? And the Lord, the guy's an auto mechanic. The Lord said, 
you can work on cars. And so he started on Saturday mornings at our church. He started a, a place for widows and single mothers who didn't have the money to have their cars fixed. He just started working on their cars and fixing their cars. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a southern word. Uh, start, uh, repairing their cars. And uh, started, you know, just, just working on them. And God took him and used him. He brought in others who could speak and share the gospel with them, the people who would come and, and they would minister to them. But he had a special place. God could use him. And what I'm saying is this, that God wants to use all of us. He wants to use every single one of us in his kingdom. And one of the ways is that we need to be increasing in brotherly kindness, reaching out to others, showing that kind of kindness. But not only does it make us useful in the kingdom of God, but it makes us fruitful in the kingdom of God. It says you will not be useless nor fruitless. So you will bear fruit. And it's amazing what happens when we make a commitment to say, Lord, help me. Give me the grace to, to show and express kindness to others, to reach out to others who, who need someone just to help them and to care for them and to show them that kindness. Lord, work in me. Produce that work in me. When that happens, you will become fruitful in the kingdom of God. I uh, One of the most... Uh, exciting stories that I could share with you about this is uh, among the Iranians and I don't know if you know what is happening among the Iranians we hear a lot on the news what you don't hear on the news I'll tell you is that there's a great revival taking place in Iran God is moving in a mighty way P perhaps uh, outside of the Chinese church the fastest growing church in the world is the Christian community in Iran and uh, some of it's just supernatural. People are having dreams about Jesus and, and, and believing on Jesus. It's, it's been an amazing thing. Uh, we've had a television broadcast in there for a number of years, and I've spoken to conferences with Iranians. Uh, there's a number of Iranian refugees that are, especially in Europe, uh, that have come to Europe, and, and there's also here in the United States. But um, God is moving in those refugee areas, and I was speaking in Greece to a conference of people who had been refugees uh, who had come out of Iran and they were now scattered throughout Europe and, and it was a men's meeting and these men came together and I was speaking to them and I was challenging them. And there was one man in that, that meeting who God just spoke to his heart. Uh, and when someone who is a refugee comes out and comes to the West, their, their, their first thought and what they're wanting is they want to build a good life for their family. They want to provide for their family. They want to uh, lift them up economically. And, and so what happens often in the refugee community among Christians is that they lose sight of Jesus and they uh, become like a lot of us, materialistic. And so I was speaking to these Iranian refugees or former refugees. They were now actually residents in Europe. And I was speaking to these men and uh, God just spoke to one of these men's hearts and said to him, you know, I didn't bring you out so that you could just live in comfort the rest of your life. I brought you out so that you could minister to your people who are suffering. And he decided that he would move to Turkey where the refugee community is 
and that he would minister in Turkey. So he left his comfortable place in Western Europe, moved to Turkey right near the Syrian border where there were a lot of refugees that were coming out, and he started a house church. And in fact, what happened was uh, several years later, the guy who was over this ministry had invited me to speak at the conference called me, and he said, Sammy, we want you to come and speak in Turkey. It's, it's an amazing thing that's happened. We have house churches all over Turkey, but they're not Turks. They're Iranians that as they have come out, they've come to Christ. And, you know, a lot of the Christians were put in prison, and, and, and then whenever they would get out, they would know that they were going back to prison, so they would escape. And, and a lot of those were leaders, and so what they were, our pastors, so we started churches with those pastors and, and these little house churches and said, would you come and speak to these house churches? So I went over there and spoke to the house churches. But there was one man, this one man, that said, Sammy, you've got to meet this guy because he made a commitment in that conference that you were speaking at to come back. And then they told me, and by the time, this was a, f- a few years ago when ISIS had uh, taken a, a town. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a town right on the Syrian and Turkish border called Kobani, a town of about a half a million people. And they, it was made up of Kurds. And they had taken and captured this town. And this town was only three kilometers or so from the uh, Turkish border. And, and there's a town inside the Turkish border called Sorush. And Sorush is where this man who made the commitment had gone to live. And in 2014, September 2014, there were 300,000 refugees from this one town in Kobani who fled to the Turkish side because of ISIS. By January, it had grown to 400,000. The Turkish government, Europe, was, just didn't know what to do. I mean, all of a sudden, in just a matter of a few months, a half a million people from just a few kilometers away were displaced over here in Turkey trying to save their lives because ISIS would kill them. And there they were, all of these refugees. And here was this one little Iranian guy that God had told him to go back and minister to his people. And he called me and he said, Sammy, we've started a refugee camp and we're trying to minister to these refugees they don't have food they don't have clothing everything they have back in Kobani has been destroyed can you bring over teachers can you bring over medical persons can you bring over evangelists can you bring over pastors we're going to reach them with the gospel and this guy so courageous and so bold he went to the mayor of Sarush this of course you know Turkey is a Muslim country as well. He went to the, the mayor of the city and he said, sir, we want to start a refugee camp. We, 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 we'll, we'll do our best to buy. We'll, we'll shoot for 10,000 people that we'll try to provide food, clothing, housing for, for and, 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 but, but we need to tell you something. We want to be honest and upfront with you on this. We're going to tell them about Jesus. And the mayor said, I don't care what you do. If you will help with 10,000 people, you can do it. (laughs) And so above board, they opened this refugee camp, and they started a church inside the refugee camp. 
the mayor of Kobani came over and saw what they were doing. And he was one of the refugees as well. He was, came over to that, their refugee camp, saw what they were doing. And this is what the mayor said. The mayor said, we came out as Muslims, but we're going back to Turkey one day as Christians. And he said, because our fellow Muslims killed us, but you Christians are clothing us and feeding us and helping us. And, and my, my friend who was over this ministry says, Sammy, you and I both know it doesn't work that way. You know, you don't feed people and clothe them, and then they're Christians now. That doesn't work. That, their hearts have to be changed by Jesus Christ. And, and so that's why they wanted me to come. They said, we want you to come and preach the gospel to them. And so we started making preparation to do that. But the, here's the interesting thing. The mayor took this man uh, who had made this commitment to go back and show kindness to his brothers, his Iranian brothers, and ministered to them, and that it ended up in this refugee camp. He took them to a place that, that overlooked, a high point that overlooked, and he showed him you could see Kabani at, the, at, at a distance. And he said, you see where the river used to be? And he said, yes. He said, well, there used to be three Christian churches in Kobani. But we burned two of them, and then we turned one of them into a mosque. And right after that happened, that river dried up. And that river has been dry ever since then. And that's why whenever we're able to go back we want to give you one of those churches. <laughs> and the guy said, I, that's great. But listen, I don't think that would be good because it's now a mosque. And um, to turn that into a church would just be inciting something, and we don't want to incite anything. Why don't you just give us some land and a place where we can build something that will help the people? He said, okay. So after ISIS left and was defeated and run out and the people came back, they gave them land, and they have a Christian center there where they have medical supplies and medical people to help the people. They have a bakery where they provide food for the people, and they have a Christian center where now this new church worships Jesus Christ in Kabani and a growing church. Here's one man that just made a commitment a commitment that, that, was, that was simply, I want to help my people. I want to, I want to show brotherly kindness to the people that, that I am, am a part of. I want to go back and I want to reach out to them and show them love and show them grace and show them kindness. And as a result of that, God not only used him to do that, but God used him to actually penetrate and impact an entire city that had been totally anti-Christian and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. I know the situations I've talked about are overseas, but I know this. There are a lot of people right here in this community, a lot of people right here that need someone just to reach out in a small way and show kindness to. If you want to be fruitful, you want to be used of God, God will use you. 
and, and God will work in you. But these qualities have to be there if you want to be useful in the kingdom of God. There has to, it starts with faith. And, and by the way, if you, you know, we're not talking about just doing good. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about doing good that grows out of a relationship with Christ. That you can love people the way he loves people. And, and adding to that, that faith, that faith encounter where you meet Christ, know Christ, grow in Christ. Adding to that moral excellence where, where you say, I'm, I'm going to try to do the right thing. I'm going to live the way, God, you want me to live. I'm going to live by your principles, by your truths, by your word. I'm going to add moral excellence to it. And then on top of the moral excellence, then we, 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 we add the knowledge of God. And then to the knowledge of God, getting to know Christ and growing in Christ, we add, we, we add self-control. And, and from self-control, as we, we, we're growing and becoming the kind of people God wants us to become, then, then we add to that perseverance. And to the perseverance, we add, we, we, we add godliness. And then as we become those Christ-like people and are growing in the Christ-like manner, then we begin to show acts of kindness to the people around us. And all of this is done in a spirit of love and from a heart of love. And what happens? It's explosive. It's explosive. And God can take you and God can use you. God wants to use every single person in this room for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Lord, he's the reason that we're here. Lord, I thank you for what he's done. Lord, I pray that you would just, Lord, stir our spirits, stir our hearts, stir our minds, our thinking. Lord, that we might do your will. That we might grow in you. That, Father, Lord, I, I know that we all have these character qualities within us but lord help us to increase in these lord i pray you'd help us to take it to another level lord to be what you want us to be and father we cannot do that lord in our own power in our own strength we cannot be the people that you've called us to be we need you we need you and we ask you in jesus name to make us those people with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I, I just want to ask you to do something. Just quietly, right where you're at, I want you to pray. And say, Lord, show me how I can increase in brotherly kindness. Just, just tell him right where you're at. Say, Lord, I want to be used of you. I, I, I want my life to really count for your kingdom. Lord, here I am. I want my life to count for you. Just tell him that right now. Tell him that you want to bear fruit and that you want to see others come to Christ. You want to bear fruit and, and see him at work in the lives of, of the people around you. Just tell him that right now. Father, I pray that these words and this truth would not go unheeded.
But Father, I pray there would be men who would walk out of this place because of the work of the Spirit of God in their hearts would begin to show kindness as they've never shown, shown kindness before. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just work in them. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. Lord, I pray for women that would, Lord, show kindness in ways that they never knew that they had the capacity to show. Lord, make us a people like Jesus. Make us a people like Jesus. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.